Hello and welcome to episode 116 of the 1099 for the week of October 23rd, 2017. I am your host, Josiah Renauden, and today's bonus episode. Uh, this is an all questions considered show, which I did, geez, like months and months back with Jake Baldino, but uh, a lot more people listen to the 1099 now. And uh, yeah. that show is more about like game news and other things like that. This is more like freelance focused and podcast focused and guest focused and um, I'd been receiving a lot of questions, so I was like, you know what, let's just, let's just do this and let's have two episodes in one week. So, uh, I was going to solo this, but two, two things. One, I don't think you want to hear me talk for like two and a half hours an entire week. That might get really tiring. And a second, a lot of these questions are freelance focused. I don't freelance, but I know someone who does. Joseph Noop, who's freelanced for, geez, Waypoint. Have you yep. been on Polygon before? Yeah, I've been Polygon like Polygon. Um, um, let me guess that one paste. Mm hmm. Um. Uh, uh. Uh. I don't know any others. You got to tell me yourself. I'm. I'm the. I'm the disease of of games journalism. I've been everywhere oh, inside God. everything and everyone. Oh. Oh. That's well. <laughs> that's. Please don't put that in your Twitter bio. The disease of. I've been called a. I've been called an obvious arsonist by someone who I think most people in gaming know, and uh, I'm. That's my band name now. So. <laughs> that's just, it's. It's actually a really good band name. Yeah. Twitter names like that are weird. But yeah, you are more actively freelancing than me. And by that, I mean, you are freelancing and I'm not freelancing. And I, and I just want to say, I, I feel very honored that I think this is my third time I'm on uh, 1099, which I'm pretty sure means two more times and I get a free sandwich. I, that's, so I think Jake Baldino just hit five. So oh. his sandwich is in the mail. Um, cause that's how you send sandwiches. It might still be in the mail. It's not, he probably shouldn't eat it at this point. It's more of a commemorative sandwich where you put it behind glass and it says like, you've been on this podcast five times. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, so expect yours soon. Um, see, we've been, we've been fielding questions on Twitter. Um, a couple emails. Some are really short. Some are really long. Some are personal. Some are just more like, what do you think about video games? Uh, so we're going to go over as much as we can in about an hour. Um, and if people like this style of podcast, I'll totally do it again in the future. So let's get started. Uh, and we're going to start right with you, Joe. Um, I'll contribute to this a little bit, but again, I'm not actively freelancing. Uh, Jacob Benfell, which I think is how you pronounce that on Twitter, um, wants to know what is your process? What is, was your process for coming up with pitches, especially related to trying to stay relevant and original? Um, and yeah, I mean, again, you are writing for people consistently. You have a lot of editors you talk to. You are writing different features. So what's kind of your... Do you have a routine? Is it a lot of just like, I don't know, suddenly light bulb goes over your head and a pitch comes to mind? What do you normally do? A lot of it is a light bulb process of like something just kind of smacks in your face or like you stumble on a game or an idea or a person who's like, oh, wow, has someone has someone chatted at all with this uh, Middle Eastern game developer who's like you know, got this crazy game about... Uh, the story of his life, et cetera, et cetera. And then you realize, oh, whoops, someone totally wrote that a yep. year ago. And then that light bulb is crushed. <laughs> uh, but when, when you get something, uh, my process, a lot of it starts with just looking at like, Hey, what are the more recent articles, uh, that have appeared on a site like, uh, Waypoint Polygon Paste or whatever? What are they covering and what are they missing, especially? Uh, because, uh, to give you an example, one of my more impactful articles uh, came after uh, Austin Walker, and I think Danielle Rendell was part of this already at that point. Uh, they were doing a series of features about uh, like justice and and politics in gaming. Um, 
just kind of, you know, how games treat social or justice politics, particularly, you know, in kind of a North American or Western uh, setting. And this was not too long after the, uh, the election. I was like, you know what? No one's done a story on has Obamacare impacted the gaming community? I was like, I can't believe that I, I Googled and I could only find a few like very superfluous things. Uh, and I just pitched it and I said, Hey, this seems like this is really relevant to the like series of features you've got going on. Do, would you want something like this? And within a heartbeat, Austin, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a good thing when any editor, you know, responds super quickly, uh, within a heartbeat, he was like, yeah, can you, uh, do you think you can have that like in, you know, five business days? And I busted tail and got it done. And, uh, after a lot of tears and hard work, I think that was one of my better stories. Yeah. And using Twitter in that way is extremely helpful where you can just throw out like a, Hey, I'm doing this type of feature. Can developers like this please give me some input or here's my email and something like that? You can really easily get a lot of support just from other freelancers, other editors. And when Austin has kind of the, the reach he has with his Twitter following and the waypoint, like it's, it's easy to find people to talk because for me, when I was doing, I did, I did a lot more reviews than anything else a freelancer, but some of my early stuff with, um, like IGN and GameSpot was a lot of interview based stuff because surprise, that's what I like to do. Like that's what I enjoy the most. And so often I never really used Twitter. Instead, I would kind of just go through the Rolodex of people who I knew. Uh, my first like IGN, I don't know if you want to call it cover story, it was on like the front for a while was right. Um, it was right before the PS4. Is that right before the PS4 was about to release or right when it did talking to different indies about like, Hey, what makes this different than the PS3? Why is there this massive? indie support this was coming off that e3 where all the indies were on stage including like lauren lanning and i knew lauren lanning and i knew like some different people at double fine other people who were making games so i was like all right i'll send them some questions and see if i can put that together and a lot of my process back then was that was people who i either knew or could at least get in contact with easily enough their information being out there and having um i did like a just cause 2 multiplayer mod feature all about like how did this happen you know what was the process of the developers getting in contact with you guys afterward um i usually check beforehand like can i pull this off are these people available i never pitch a feature unless i have some sort of confirmation from the interview subjects uh, or or at least if they're like available like if you can't find any contact information for you know shigeru miyamoto or or uh cause or something crazy like that you know (laughs) don't don't bet your dollar that you can get those guys yeah, make sure it's something that is feasible. Something that's like, you know, I- I'm going to talk to Hideo Kojima about Metal Gear. Like, you're probably not. Like, but you could get maybe someone who is not as well known, but has something even more interesting to say about a, a super, like, in vogue topic. And I think that's a lot of that stuff. Yeah. And as something I've learned with this podcast and just freelancing in general, a lot of people just say yes when you reach out. They're not these, like, people who you can never reach even if they've done crazy work amazing work that you really appreciate they'll probably maybe they won't all say yes but people get back to you 100 yeah. percent, people get back to you 100 uh, is debatable but it's still okay. it's still a good number i i think they, yeah <laughs> i think is uh as far as like staying relevant that that's always been like for me the biggest challenge is i can't tell you uh when i interned at game informer some years back uh it blew my mind how much I knew ahead of other people. And like, that's kind of the sweet, you know, haha, I'm a games journalist experience, but obviously you're, uh, you're under NDA and you can't talk about things yet, but you're able to formulate, 
uh, you know, features content or interview ideas or stuff like that. So you can th- then release a nice big juicy thing when it's available. Uh, but for a freelancer, obviously, who doesn't necessarily have that uh, clout or, you know, you aren't getting PR people reaching out to you, uh, you just got to look for the angle of a game or a story that maybe someone hasn't taken yet. So, uh, well, like with a AAA game, something that might be, I just saw, uh, I have no idea if it's good. Uh, and it was posted <laughs> in one of our uh, freelance uh Facebook groups of writers who, you know, all discuss with each other. Someone posted a article called uh, Star Wars Battlefront 2 is my ex-girlfriend. And I'm like, okay, that headline. That's an angle. That that did its job. I am now curious to know what the hell you're talking about. Maybe maybe it's stupid. Who knows? I can't remember what site it was on. It didn't look like one of the super major ones. But like, bravo, you did your job. I my brain is now like, hmm, go ahead. and sometimes that's all it takes. Yeah, hundred percent. And they, yeah, it's 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 both the headline and just the content itself. It's do something different, but also do something within the bounds of what a site does. Like like you said, with a waypoint where they're doing like justice and politics stuff, then you got to stick with that. Or um, I, I feel like for the longest time, Games Radar was known for like top sevens and different lists like yeah. that. And you can have a creative idea within those boundaries, even if it is a top list. You can do something. Uh, hopefully, no one else has done, but do your research. Uh, this one is more directed at me i would guess uh this is from so i was a little inconsistent in terms of how i'm labeling these because i was like sometimes i use their actual twitter name and sometimes sometimes i use their twitter handle uh so it's a little all over the place but this is from rustic or treat which i assume is a halloween themed name um he asks who's a guest that you really want to get but don't think could ever happen and let me start by saying this this goes back to that last question where i said you know most people respond i've been incredibly fortunate that most of the people who I've tweeted at or emailed or found some way to contact have said yes. And again, I feel super lucky to have that happen. Uh, partially, again, a lot of these people are just, they enjoy talking um, about games and about their careers and stuff like that. A lot of that also is, it's kind of a snowball effect of once you start getting people like You really Adam have Sessler. exemplified the domino effect of like, I got, <laughs> I got one good big name and that person will vouch for me because I did a good job. And uh, now suddenly you're yeah. talking to Adam Sessler. It's it's definitely helpful. Like if I just randomly and uh, Tim Schafer hasn't gotten back to me, but if I randomly tweet on like a Friday night, like I would love to talk to Tim Schafer. Suddenly Mike Laidlaw, who formerly creative director for Dragon Age, just left recently, will be like he'll tweet at Tim Schafer saying like, "Hey, he's a great person to talk to." And then like Ashley Esquita, like, and all these other people will just tweet and like say he's good at interviewing, which like super nice of them to do. It is it's been a snowball effect, but. Uh, the people who I would like to get the most that I don't think I will be able to are developers at major AAA studios. People who are, well, I was really lucky with Mike Laidlaw with Dragon Age. Um, and a lot of people who work on games of that size aren't often that candid because they can't be. If suddenly I get the, you know, creative director of the newest Call of Duty, they probably can't talk about that much. Like there's a lot of things I want to ask about, let's say the last Mass Effect. And I know there's been stories out there about it, but there's a lot of projects with untold stories about, you know, maybe why this went wrong or why went this went right. But because there's so much money tied up in it and so many, Legality. you know, publisher and developer. Yeah, there's so much as someone who you know works at a development team like there's a lot of weirdness around it where of course you can't talk about certain things and there's a lot of hoops you have to jump through and um you know even with uh with the recent 
Eric Pope interview I just did, which was great. Like I had to have a PR person there because for honor was a topic and that, you know, you have to stay within certain bounds. There's certain things you can't really tackle. So that's kind of the type of person, the type of people who I would love to talk to who are big decision makers at major studios. Cause it's, it's great to talk to Indies. It's great to talk to all these people I've talked to, but I have a lot of questions for people like that, but I don't think. I will be able to, unless I reach a, I don't think this will ever happen, unless I reach a point where I have so much credibility that they're just like, whatever, it's worth trying it. Uh, but so, as of right so now, let's do, let's do the, the dream team. Like what's the, what's the A team lineup of crazy, oh. never in a million years kind of people? Oh God. Um, let's get some names never on in this. a million years. Kind of, are we just sticking with developers or everyone in general? Everyone, everyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Greg Miller has been someone on my list for a long time that I really want to talk to. I think um, I think he's feasible. Um, <laughs> I, I I have been I'm okay saying I've been in contact and that is maybe happening, but that's a, like he's such a busy dude. It's hard. Um, it's funny Jeff Gersman was one and that happened. I still don't like I still sometimes like look back on my list and be like, oh man, that was like an hour and a half conversation. I almost forgot happened not because it was bad, but because like I just didn't expect it. It's kind of just out of nowhere. He's like, how about tomorrow? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Um, that was one for the longest time, but yeah, I, I'm trying to think of Hideo, Hideo Kojima, but like that's yeah. the language barrier. There's a little <laughs> bit tough. Um, you know, I would like to interview. This is a weird one. I want to just kind of talk to Jeff Keeley. Like I've I was going to say, yeah, He's I've been met Jeff Keeley so at a party and we had like a very brief conversation. Uh, I would want to interview the person who interviews everyone like that fascinates me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's absolutely. <laughs> The, on my list the larry king of <laughs> oh god he's yeah so he, he's 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 somewhere on that list um and yeah it's weird i haven't like i haven't thought about it much deeper than that it would have to, the rest of the people would have to be like people at major studios that want to talk to i think it'd be who's... fun for you to maybe talk with uh some of the talents behind uh bigger brands or bigger names not necessarily the creators or developers but like the acting talent maybe that they've got so oh, yeah. like Chris Sabat, uh, voice of Vegeta slash Piccolo and a bunch of other things, uh, anime. Uh, yep. he always gives like a faint, a really great chat. And I feel like there's a couple of cool stories I bet you could pull out of like voice actors and such. Of My course. brother would freak out if I talked to the voice of Vegeta. Like, I don't think he might, he might not be able to handle that <laughs> as like this massive Dragon Ball Z fan. You know, someone, uh, someone else I was thinking of, I'd love to talk to Jeff Kaplan. Yeah. Like I have a lot of Roadhog specific questions for him that might be more for me than it is for the audience who um, you know, listens to my podcast, <laughs> but it would be like, look, everyone, you could tune out for a second. Let's talk about Roadhog's damage cuz I think you should up it. No, but I would have so many questions for him in general about Overwatch, so he's absolutely on my list. Uh hopefully all this We're not ending happens. this call until the the nerf is reverted. <laughs> Holding you here, you have to listen, hear me out. Uh, next question is from Alec Gwynn, who says, what has your experience been since you started sharing episodes on the Giant Bomb forums and Giant Bomb subreddit compared to Twitter? Has the response been different based on where you share it? Uh, it has, yeah. So Twitter is invaluable for me in terms of if I get a big guest and they retweet it, it entirely changes the download numbers as you'd expect. If an Adam Sessler tweets it, uh, when Vinny tweeted mine, it just changes everything. I- I've almost... I've been fortunate that I've had pretty much all positive messages on Twitter. Um, the Giant Bomb Reddit and forum is similar uh, in terms of the response is it's a super passionate group. And to get kind of a behind the scenes look at these people who they follow 
every single day and who they, you know, contribute money to for the site, uh, they eat that shit up, which is awesome. Like that's as a giant bomb fan myself, like it's super cool to see. I've had, uh, that's maybe the only, the giant bomb Reddit is the only time I've actually faced like real criticism for the podcast. Not in a bad way. It's all constructive. What kind? Um, it was, uh, I had, I, I did a podcast with Abby Russell, um, which I was so happy to like lock that up so early. She, she's, she's a, a podcast doll. Sense. I love her so she's much. Incredible. And she's awesome to talk to. And she was so nice. She like on a Saturday went to the giant bomb me studio to use, you know, to actually use the mic and talk to me there. And like, she didn't have to do that. Uh, and it's one of my most popular podcasts, but I think I made a joke about, um, her being like, the clear winner in the in the Abby versus Ben thing when they got hired, but as a joke, and it was like I recorded that podcast like a couple weeks before a lot of weird Ben backlash was happening on like Giant Bomb forums. So like I got some hate from people saying like Why would you say that? You're gonna make him feel like shit. This is really bad timing. And 100 percent apologized on Twitter later. It was like unintentional. It was a joke, but it was a joke at the wrong time. Um, so. I would love to talk to Ben in the future. I don't know if I messed that up. It was totally unintentional. And I, I definitely had some people... Uh, it's funny. I posted a lot in the Giant Bomb like red, subreddit because I've talked to almost everyone on that staff and people seem to enjoy when I put those there. I had some people say like, man, I I don't like how Josiah interviews. He sounds nervous the entire time. Uh, and like the, the interviews don't flow well. And that's the kind of stuff that, you know, I am not... As someone who's taken a lot of edits for writing throughout my entire, you know, quote unquote career, uh, you get used to that, but it is weird when it's so directly about you as someone who speaks. Also, um, you're not a very nervous person. I feel like I, I, I've listened to my fair share of, of the episodes. I've been on this enough and granted, I'm, I'm not an intimidating figure, but like, I, I also play probably like 5,000 hours of Overwatch with you. You are true. not a shy person. <laughs> yeah. It, and like, I think even with your heroes. (laughs) I I take that stuff to heart uh, when someone says that because then I have to look and be like, okay, am I not seeing something or am I handling this in a way that maybe I don't even realize? And there's absolutely been, and there's a question about this later we'll get to, there's been some times where you get slightly starstruck because in so many cases I've never talked to these people either in person or on the phone or on Skype right until we start recording. It's, It's literally an email or Twitter conversation and then you add them on Skype and then suddenly you are talking for maybe two or three minutes before you hit the record button. And that's, that's how these podcasts go. I'd never talked to Jeff Kurtzman. I, Adam Sessler turned his camera on and I was looking at Adam Sessler's home and I was like, this is surreal. Like, mm-hmm. this is weird mm-hmm. in, in a, in a good way, not a bad weird. So it's, uh, that kind of stuff was definitely weird on the giant bomb subreddit. Not because I think those people are weird is because I just wasn't used to that sort of, criticism not about my writing but about the way i talk and the way i interview and uh hopefully it's gotten better i i I dare anyone who calls you shy during an interview (laughs) to play like one round of overwatch with us yeah they oh god let us let us rock your world there is some vulgarity happening in there but there's been a couple of times we'll admit i was you know a little bit like caught off guard maybe by as i'm you know it takes a bit to get the flow of a conversation with someone where you're like how long do you pause are your answers gonna be really long or really short and sometimes you have i you know this behind the scenes i always write up about a page and a half of notes uh about like here's what i want to tackle and sometimes i word it out very carefully sometimes i just kind of wing it depending on who i'm talking to and there's times where i have like 
12 questions and they burn through like the first three in like six minutes. And you're like, yeah. That, and that's, that's one of the most terrifying things I think with any interview, right? Is when, uh, you've done your preparation. You're not some clown who's just asking stupid questions, but sometimes, especially because of that like weird internet barrier where like, you're not, you're not Mark Marin, you're not in a garage <laughs> yeah. sitting next to president Obama. Uh, Holy. you're not getting that like int- intimate in contact. So, Sometimes those interviewees will feel like uh, two or three minute answers is totally fine. And then they'll leave you hanging and you'll be like, uh, crap, crap. What do I talk about? Now? Yeah, no, totally. There's, and you start scrambling in your brain because you always want to listen to if you have like a yeah. this is just interview advice in general. If you have a set of questions, you want to listen to what they say closely so that sometimes the the best part of the conversation is just a follow up from the stuff that you didn't expect. And like that's happened a lot. But there are times where sometimes when it's a big guest and maybe you're starting to go off script, you start kind of floundering a bit. And I've absolutely had that happen. So uh, just in terms of the, the giant bomb community, they've been incredible. They've been extremely nice. Um, but yeah, there's definitely been a couple of times where I've seen stuff where I'm like, Oh, this is my podcast isn't massive, but when it started to get bigger recently, you do see some of the stuff of people who just like, don't like certain ways you talk about things or how you handle certain topics or your opinions on things. It, it, it was definitely a change when you go from, you know, a very dedicated few fans to, you know, thousands of people. And you're like, okay, this is different. This is definitely weird. Uh, Alec also to follow up, which you said, what have you learned about yourself, <clears throat> about yourself from conducting so many interviews? And, you know, a lot of it is just, you know, you learn how to interview people better, how to carry on conversations with people. Um, and even though I was you know, talking before about having nerves at times and certain people thinking I do, uh, it's been cool to be able to just talk to these people who you've considered heroes and kind of like just leaps and bounds ahead of you career wise and success wise and kind of just have an even playing field uh, to be able to talk to these people like humans where again, you I'm talking to Jeff Grossman where you start having a conversation. You're like, you forget who you're talking to. You're just having like your two guys, just, you know, two friends just chilling and talking about video games or about, you know, the industry as a whole. So being able to do that comfortably was maybe something that I didn't expect I'd be able to do. And that's maybe not overly personal in terms of learning something about myself, but maybe learning about how I handle stuff like that has been cool. That's been a lot of fun. I think you and I are both uh, 25, right? Yes. So have you ever done an interview and kind of had that like dad or grandpa effect of like <laughs> someone who's someone who's like, considerably older than you and like a little more world wisened or world weary and yes have you ever like gotten that weird fuzzy talking to grandpa feeling during an interview um because that because that's one like the most fascinating things to me having interviewed um uh the the guy who brought tetris to the west uh Hmm. i'd have to google that but I forgot his name, but uh, the guy who's like responsible for, for bringing Tetris to the West is like this a close to 70 year old uh, hippie who lives in Hawaii with his bajillions <laughs> of dollars on like some sort of geo farm. And he took me on a little Skype tour of like his farm and just like, wow, this is I'm so touched and amazed that this person is letting me in a window into their life. That kind of sounds incredible. And I don't see it. The problem is I don't think I've interviewed anyone old enough for me to say that. And if I did say it about someone, they might get offended if I said <laughs> I had like a grandpa or dad effect. It'd be like, Michael Pactor. Like if you start grandpa doing Pactor. stuff like that, they'd be like, God <laughs> damn it. I'm not that old. But I've definitely had like a lot of, you know, 
crazy kind of old games journalism world versus new games journalism world moments, even with, you know, Jeff Gersman's not that old, but, you know, mm-hmm. talking to this person who was writing during, like, reviewers tilt time and stuff like that. Yeah. So, yeah, I definitely had moments like that. Um, let's see. This one is a little bit longer. And it's focused more on uh, the Switch. So the Nintendo Switch is a hit, says Andrew Jelly on Twitter. But how long will people keep saying they wished X game was on the Switch? I feel like it's more discussion simply because people can envision current-gen games on the Switch. But realistically, will they be saying the same thing in two or three years or when it's clear the Switch can't run what its competition can? Will its popularity fizzle out? Uh, just follow up a little bit on this. He adds a little bit more. Uh, why do you think people give Nintendo a pass with a Switch? By that I mean no trophies, clunky online, no virtual console. People are looking through rose-tinted glasses. And just for context, uh, Andrew owns a PS4 Pro, Xbox One S, Switch, and Vita. He likes all. He just feels like Nintendo Switch in general gets un- unjustly gets a pass. Uh, you have a Switch, Joe. Mm-hmm. I love it. Uh, it, it. Do you love it? Is there a little bit of like... Nintendo has done so much of this stuff wrong for so long that suddenly I'm going to get shit on so much. But the one group who does shit on me the most on Twitter is people who love Nintendo. Really it's weird because I I know it's I've gotten some angry messages. They they uh, emerge from the wall like a good little you know wall chicken. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like I love Nintendo, but oh my god, there, there's a fan base who when they get upset they get real upset. But do you think a little bit of this is? everything nintendo did before always seemed like it was just lagging behind and behind and suddenly... i think partially but maybe not in that exact way because people like nintendo games nintendo is an amazing first party uh game company that's always been undeniable even in their worst like moments it's usually been like at worst uh, a tolerable game or a game that you're like you know but super mario galaxy 2 not you know world revolutionary but still really enjoyable hey and I think the Switch is at least in part an acknowledgement of a lot of the failures of Wii U in particular. Uh, the Wii ended up doing so many things right financially and, and accessibility wise that of course it's why, you know, your, your grandma has one probably or like her, your grandma's nursing home has one. And I feel like the Switch is the kind of evolution of that, except it still is in this, this form that like uh, long term or, or, quote unquote hardcore gamers like us can really appreciate the to the issue of uh envisioning like current gen games on the switch i think it just comes down to like that ease of access i love being able to pick up my switch and play golf story or i'm really looking forward to uh, a game like battle chef brigade yep. And that's not a game I could see myself playing a whole lot on a stationary TV, like in a living room or something like that, because it's such a drop in, drop out, do a little today, get a little further, uh, in and out kind of 10 minute experience at a time. And I think as long as the games that's like, you know, Doom or Wolfenstein or what, what's some of the other ones that are supposed to be coming out? Uh, I mean, like NBA 2K just came. NBA out, 2K. Right? Well, see, I could see NBA 2K being a really nice, like, I would, can you imagine this is, it's, it's like PlayStation Vita, except with more supports. Uh, I would love to be able to play a basketball game anywhere. I don't want to play a basketball game at home necessarily all the time because, I have stuff that's more meaningful to me to get to on the big fancy screen yeah. as opposed to the accessible switch screen. Um, and, and sometimes it comes down to the, the gameplay elements of those games too. Like basketball, 
I'm not so blitzed out about the the graphics of that as I am about the the thrill of you know coordinating a good play or Doom. Yeah, a big part of Doom's allure is the you know psychographics it can achieve on uh, a screen, but at, at its heart, none of that would have mattered if it weren't uh, the greatest evolution of that original first-person shooter gameplay. Uh, that just never stops, and that could be really cool to do kind of a jump-in, jump-out experience on the Switch. Yeah, and I don't think... I mean, we're about to find out with the Xbox One X release. I don't think people care about power as much as we used to. Um, the, you, you, I mean, you look at the, the SNES classic, where that's suddenly like the most sought-after thing. Like, I, I There's this certain wonder around a Nintendo platform and those specific games that... The third party almost feels like a bonus, which it shouldn't. Like, there should be really good third party support. And I think it'll continue to get better because the Switch is doing so well and because there is this kind of hardcore audience that is moving toward Nintendo right now. But, um, for the Switch, the only reason I'd get one is probably for the Nintendo games. And again, the, the third party would feel like a bonus to me. And it's kind of the, the natural evolution of the Vita, like we mentioned before, where these indie games are coming to it too. And you can just take them on the yeah. go or playing in bed. It's when you're a kid, you think about that. You think, like, man, it'd be awesome to be able to play these games, these, you know, console experience, home console experience games just in bed or like on a plane or something like that. I, I used to hook up my GameCube, um, or it might have been my N64. Uh, my dad had a nice big, like, cargo van, and I, you know, put all, like, four separate wires in there, and we had a little, uh, uh, CRT TV that had to have been, like, ten inches across, if that, uh, but I would play, like, NFL Blitz on that thing while driving down the road, and, like, that's how cool it felt to kind of be outside the living room with a game, with a game like that, right, is you, you were willing to go to those links. And to the point of third parties as well, uh, you know, indie games or, or games that just aren't big Nintendo properties, you got to remember the Wii U had almost none of that, yep. right? Uh, that was half the reason I think it failed is because people had these huge like three or four month waits in between uh, classic Nintendo properties being released. And now we, as long as they don't, you know, fall by the wayside like the Vita did, and become a, a platform for nothing but, uh, like really out there indies, uh, you will always have something. I, I look in the store now and for all the problems that Nintendo's, uh, online stores and virtual consoles have, I'm never not surprised a little bit by like some of the new stuff that's on there. Yeah. And there's no way it's going to fall by the wayside is because, you know, with the Vita, they had, you know, Sony has the PlayStation 4 that they want to support, right? That, you know, like they have their main platform for Nintendo. There's always going to be those big Nintendo games yep. on here. There's always going to be indie games and third party again. Like if, if, if this continues to sell, we'll see more stuff tailored for the Switch. And yeah, eventually when, you know, other consoles keep getting more powerful and those type of games are harder to run on the Switch, that might be an issue. But for right now, I, I do think sometimes we give Nintendo a pass, but right now it, it's just this, the Switch is cool. The Switch is super cool, and I'm happy it's doing well. Uh, and hopefully all the other pieces come together and the online support, everything like that. But yeah, as of right now, even if we are, it's a little bit of a pass. I think the Switch is rad. Uh, I like this question a lot right here. This is from Colin Regan or Colin Reagan. I think it's Regan um, on Twitter. And he asked, what game from your childhood do you have the fondest memories of? Which you can kind of use this as like, oh, my favorite game from when I was a kid. But also there's parts of me that you know those games that you 
will argue for really hard now, even though you kind of know they aren't great, but just because you played them at a very specific time in your life. Like, mm-hmm. I, Donkey Kong 64 is not a very good video game. Like, all you do nope. is collect shit, but I fucking love that game. And it's just because it was a certain time in my life. I am a strong N64 defender, which I will, I will use the exact same logic I did with Donkey Kong 64, where like, it's not that good, but it was just at this specific time in my life that I had all the games and had the console and was around all my siblings and we just played through it. Like, the nice yellow cartridge. 100%. <laughs> like, I love Donkey Kong 64, but it probably Banjo Kazooie is the one that really stands out for me. I, it's, you know, this, using all of the kind of concepts from uh, Mario 64, but just felt and played better and a really great style, fantastic music. And yeah, that's, that's a game that's always going to stick out to me. It's not my, you know, I think Final Fantasy VIII, I've said multiple times, anyone's ever read my GameSpot features, I'll somehow make a reference to it all the time. Probably my favorite game, and not the best game, but my favorite game. Um, it, but uh, Banjo-Kazooie is right up there, too. I think uh, it's it's funny you mentioned Donkey Kong 64. DK64 was the like first game, I think, to make me feel really visceral fear uh even though it is the farthest thing from a horror game Uh because i forget it's it's later in the game probably probably over halfway at least the the level with the bouncing killer tomatoes uh those things freak the hell out of me and i I never remember that part where you walk into like a cave and you hear like just some voice go like get out and like there's this target that gets painted on you and you have to run from it no oh my god that's the real horror part of that game but no the bouncing tomatoes (laughs) are also terrible that that game is a secret horror game yeah yeah no just like i never actually made it past that section (laughs) as a kid just because i was like nope not going in there got something different to play this is fine oh my god um I, and I think like it was probably more closer to like 13 or 14 years old, but I, I worked a whole summer to save up for a PlayStation 2. And, uh, I just remember I actually just the other day, uh, there was some sort of, uh, uh fan art or something of Sly Cooper and, uh, one of the original developers or co-founders of Sucker Punch shared it. And I just randomly felt like, you know, typing out, hey, thank you so much for three of the best, uh, like, platformer adventure games yep. ever, uh, because those games were just this weird, perfect blend of platforming and, like, cartoon stealth, you know? It's more about just platforming right instead of, you know, hiding in shadows or whatever, and I I loved every character. I, I you know, totally... <laughs> ship sly cooper and uh what's her name carmen fox Mm. or something whatever that is uh that game is probably responsible for a lot of the more disturbed weird elements of me but uh some of the most charming games that and of course uh jack and daxter the original i think i've played that and sly cooper uh probably like four times over each uh, just because those are worlds filled with charm that we just don't see that much anymore. Um, you really have to like rely on your Nintendos and your Marios for something like that. Right. And, uh, I'm always glad when something even gets close. God, Jack and Dax are the original in retrospect is so bizarre compared to what came after it. Like when it's just suddenly, what, like it, talking it, badass Jack and like those. Imagine being Naughty Dog and like, granted, they came from Crash Bandicoot, uh, not long before that, but like, this weird wacky not quite steampunk it's more like earth punk or something like that with eco and we got this like flying 
toboggan bicycle and uh, all these like weird creatures that are hunting you down for these little glowy orbs and just what a weird, weird world. Yep. And I can't believe they sold investors on something like God, that. It's so fucking bizarre. But so, some of my fondest memories are of, you know, 3D platformers in general. That's why I never actually played through ukulele. I had not heard great things, which was a bummer because it's one of those things where it, it's probably just of a certain time and of a certain time of our lives where those games were so incredible again the donkey kong 64s the banjo kazooies of the world the the ratchet and clanks the jack and daxters all that stuff like that stuff was my so my favorite stuff it was it was turn-based jrpgs <laughs> and 3d platformers which that weird now because all i play is overwatch but it's those are the kind of things that i do have fond memories of and there's probably an entire list of games like that you could probably say a certain name and something like oh I, I loved that too and totally forgot uh, one 3D platformer that no one should ever play and is maybe the worst game of all time. Uh, not really, but I hate it. Don't ever play Glover on the Nintendo 64. That game, speaking of games that I quit and ha- probably have nightmares of, it's so fucking hard. It's a 3D platformer where you have this stupid ball. You're a glove. You're a glove with a face. And you're always carrying around this ball. So if you die, of course you die. But if the ball gets popped, you also die. So you're always using it as like a puzzle element. Here's, there's going to be Glover fans out there. Those are Those people are wrong. And that game is so hard. Sub- subsisting solely on Hamburger Helper. Oh my god, it was so, god, so bad. I hate Glover. Um, Alright, next question. This is from John Jay on Twitter. Uh, is there anything games and or games media should steal from movies and the TV industry? Uh, something games media just doesn't get right right now. Um, this is something that I feel like I've asked people, and I've gotten maybe never the perfect answer, but some different kind of scattered thoughts on it. Uh, cause a lot of people talk about, you know, we, we treat movies and TV and, and books as art and are able to kind of examine them in different ways beyond games where a lot of games media early on was just like, does this feel good? Is the shooting great? Are the graphics good? Um, and now we are able to, you know, look at games from more of a cultural aspect and dig into it deeper, even if there is pushback on Twitter and comment sections like that. So for the longest time, it always felt like we needed to get to a point where we could treat games not to get all like highfalutin on this but like keep keep, treat games like art and talk about them like that um but have you kind of noticed anything do you read a lot of movie or tv or any sort of other media out there and you're like man i wish we could do more of this in games media i think uh for like the the bigger reviewers and even and even a lot of the um i want to say lesser known but the more uh, out there reviewers like you know your bob chipman's Mm -hmm. uh movie bob or uh uh, old, like, ain't it cool news kind of alumni. Um, it does feel like a, a more special experience when you, uh, have all these guys who have just like, they've, they've grown up with films and somehow they manage to encapsulate the historical importance of something even as banal as a Friday the 13th sequel or something yeah. like that. Uh, I think there does need to be a, a more concerted effort to look at that kind of writing and seeing like, yeah, how can, how can we look at beyond a game as a product and more as a historical marker of where uh, a studio is or where a director is or where an expression of uh, social, you know, issues are uh movie. Bob did, has a fascinating series. Um, and he did a an October kind of horror run of uh, the the movie was called Uncle Sam, and it was a slasher movie with this like dead marine comes back as like this 
evil zombie and goes around in a Uncle Sam mask just killing people who like wronged him or did bad things. And it's just like it's a garbage movie and it's <laughs> garbage acting and and someone like Movie Bob, you know, fully acknowledges and embraces that. But he also manages to pull out a lot of like and you know, a lot of commentary in terms of this is clearly like on the part of the director, some sort of commentary about uh, the, the state of how we treat soldiers or how we revere them uh, for better or worse. And he's not he's not reaching. He is totally justifying all these observations. And I wish there was a little bit more of that because now this hot garbage movie, I actually kind of want to see because I'm like, you know what, that. That's a cool observation. I want to see if I get that too. Yeah. Um, as far as like something that games should steal from like the movie or TV industry, I think there needs to be a cool, uh, much more concerted effort to look at the way movies and television are budgeted mm. and how much movies can get away with with a lower budget. Because one of the bigger issues we saw this with. Um, EA, uh, super recently kind of shelving, what was it? Star Wars. It wasn't 13. It didn't have a title yet. I don't think it was. It, it was Hennig just game. their untitled EA Star Wars project, single player kind of game that, uh, Amy Hennig, I think was on. And that got shelved. They put out some statement about like, you know, Hey, we, you know, don't think this is the right business avenue for us to, to do something like this as a single player game. It really sounded like they wanted to kind of, throw all the parts of like destiny and and other multiplayer things in the one big blender and make a star wars game out of that which is okay if you can do that that's fine but some of the greatest films known to man have been made with a tight budget with a lot of self-imposed or studio imposed restrictions and just some level of ingenuity and willingness to do something fresh in the face of a lack of funds, which you would have otherwise just used on CG effects and going to events like PAX or GDC. I really loved going down the, uh, it's almost like the artist alley of indie games. Uh, and just seeing like, you know, what here's this co-op, uh, uh, thief game where like one person's a hacker and one person's the, the man on the ground thief. And they're all like Sly Cooper esque animals. And like, here's this weird wacky world. Like, I don't know if this game will sell well, but I love it so much. And I'm glad that like they have just enough money to make it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's weird because it's, it kind of ties in the death of the B game, right? Where you don't, you don't have those mid tier, mid budget games mm -hmm. that either there's kind of this mm -hmm. tiered system with indie games now where there's the super small weird stuff. There's the, mid-tier indie games that you know it takes takes some money to make but if they're not these massive investments there's a something like a pyre from super giant which i think is kind of it sounds so stupid to say triple i but has a bigger budget has a more well-known yeah. team it takes a few years to make uh and then after that it's kind of like all the rest is just huge gambles and i mean not everything's a gamble. Like it, it, Call of Duty is technically a gamble. If you go back to World War II, it's still a gamble. You don't really know if it's going to do as well as it should. But there's there's a lot of sure bets. But then there's just this is a lot of money you're putting into this, and, and you know we're not the the targets for some of this stuff. You look at Tomb Raider. You look at um other games recently. I forget what it was where there's just like if it doesn't sell five million, it's not a success, and that's just not feasible. That we can't keep yeah. going on that track. You can't just have this massive budget and expect everything to sell that well, especially with how many games come out and how, you know, something like 
you look at PUBG, that's, you're not going to see a lot of successes in that realm, you know, with that budget. And out of nowhere, suddenly you're at 10 million, 15 million, but you can innovate and take kind of smaller swings at this stuff and maybe do just as well instead of having everything be this, like you said, like this massive game with destiny hooks and microtransactions just to make sure it actually recoups any of the money you put into it. That doesn't seem feasible. It's, it's a really bloated kind of top tier right now, but hopefully that's something we can kind of figure out in the future. Um, let's go for, uh, this is, this is kind of related. Um, it's, it's still more about games media. Uh, Gene wants to know on Twitter, how can traditional games media stay relevant in a YouTube world? And this is kind of the billion dollar question. Like, it's hard to answer. Um, Stop pivoting to video. Yeah, maybe that's the easiest way to put it. Uh, but then the problem is, even if you say that, then it's like, okay, but then how do you still maintain I, again, relevance? Again, honestly, I I think it comes down to budget. And I'm I'm no wizard. I, I will never claim uh, a major sense of authority on this. But I know there are enough people in the world who like to get their gaming news via a, a written format or, you know, some sort of long form short mix of long form short form stuff features or then just hard hitting news and i feel like the the re- it's almost like uh, game studios you know there's there's a handful of big publishers and then there's god knows how many little indie studios trying to uh, uh scrape by same with games journalism of course there's your IGN GameSpot uh maybe Vice or whatever mm-hmm. uh but you have all these super tiny places uh, that are. I, I I don't want to see them begin to emulate all the stuff that the big people do because I think that, that does a disservice to uh, half of the community and to people who you know could much more accurately put down a story onto paper. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's just such. I'm also one of those people who I don't like video news. I prefer just like reading something. Like, let me get to the point. Let me find it my own way. But yeah, this is, this is a, an essential question. And, um, it's been interesting to see. It's funny. I remember it was like Glixel and Waypoint kind of at the same time. And that was for me, maybe a little bit of a test of like, all right, if we shift to culture writing in this age of streaming and YouTube, can this still work? And Glixel's been doing what Glixel's been doing, which is after a year firing everyone, then pivoting a bit. Uh, and Waypoint, I think is doing well, but I don't know the financial situation. I don't know, like, you know, the numbers behind yeah. it. I hope it is. I really, really do. Cause I, I love that stuff, but me too. <laughs> yeah. No, you did that. Definitely you, you freelance there, but it's, I don't entirely know yet. I, I don't know. There, I don't think there's a perfect solution. If there is a solution, I don't think we have it entirely nailed down yet. Um, I don't, I don't feel as much like before I felt like everything had to be suddenly a let's play or a stream. I don't feel like that's the case as much anymore. I still think there's a lot of room for writing and personality based stuff. And, uh, on a smaller scale, Patreon, different, like different Patreon organizations, like smaller groups who can get together and do interesting things that way. But, um, yeah, it's, it's still hard. One thing I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with still, despite all this is like, I, I admire and understand that, a lot of uh, entertainment journalism can come down to, you know, personality-based uh, uh, structure. You know, just having someone like a, an Austin Walker or a Jeff Gersman or 
uh, some of the Polygon team mm-hmm. are, you know, they have a, a, their own little mini cult followings, the, each of them. And I think that's a perfectly acceptable way to do that. Cause like that, that way, one, because this is an artistic medium for the most part, and not just a business, not just a, a, a series of press releases being rehashed. That allows you to develop an even stronger bond with the people you entrust to, you know, give you news and give you commentary. Yep. And c- could you imagine people being as passionate about, uh, you know, political policy and like depending on, uh, 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 face the nation hosts or, or, uh, pod save America or something like that? Could you imagine people being as passionate about those guys and learning hardcore policy from them the same way they learn about, uh, difficult, you know, game subject matter from Jeff Gersman okay. or, or Austin Walker or anything like that. That'd be really cool to see. And I'm per- and I perfectly encourage more of that to come. One of my favorite developments in games media in general is just like this kind of birth of personalities and, and people who like they, they want to read a review because they want to read the specific person's review or when something big happens in the industry they're waiting for this certain take from like you said like an austin walker or a jeff gertzman or um other people who are doing it so that's that's one angle it doesn't of course fix everything but i think it, it makes it interesting to have big interesting names who you want to hear from at certain sites uh here's one from daniel elliott on twitter uh he asked what's the best tip about podcasting that nobody talks about <sighs> there's a lot um Everyone has a podcast. <laughs> that's well, that's one thing. Uh, that actually kind of relates to probably the tip I have for this. Um, what I tried to do, because I've been, I kind of helped host or at least co-host certain podcasts when I was younger and not even getting paid for writing yet. And a lot of that stuff, of course, didn't get listens because it was just like every other podcast. Uh, for me, before I started this and even after I started it, when I kind of changed to being way more interview focused and like a roundtable kind of thing was um, if I wasn't hosting this podcast and i just found it on itunes like would i want to listen to it what about it makes it different which is super hard to do just be like oh i need a different podcast but if you're just two random white dudes talking about game news and the games you played this week like why why would people care about that unless again going back to the personality based stuff you are a giant bomb you're a waypoint you already have this established base if you're just some random person who no one really knows which is me uh, which I'm fine with. Like, it's you need a hook, and a, a lot of my hook was like, there's not a lot of, you know, kind of long form interview podcasts with people in games, either in media or who make games or who do YouTube and stuff like that. And in that idea is this inherent idea of my social media following and my name don't really carry this massive amount of weight that'll lead to downloads. But if I get Michael Pachter on the show, if I get Jeff Gersman on the show, if I get these other people, you know, people will be interested in these people who they already like. And hopefully they say, Josiah doesn't suck at this. Or Joshua mm-hmm. is probably what they're going to call me because no one can say my name right. And they'll just be like, okay, can maybe I just like the style of this show and not just the guest. And then people stick around. So I think maybe the easiest tip is just if you want to do a, a gaming podcast, you got to take a step back and try to figure out like, would I, why would someone want to listen to this? If they didn't know who I was, they did not care about my opinion. Like, why would people want to download the show? And you got to find a hook. Um, I think the, the Final Games podcast, which uh, is one of my like favorite kind of indie ones, I, I talk to uh, the host all the time. Where it's like, okay, if you're you know stranded on you know deserted island, what what eight games? I think it's eight games. Um, would you bring with you and like explain each one? And he gets people yeah. like 
Uh, I think Michael Pachter is going to be on there soon, but he's had like a little bit of everyone on there to talk about this. And that's, 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 that's the two things. That's the two angles. That's bringing in other people who already have an audience, but also having an original idea that even if you don't know the guest, you want to stick around for. So I think that's kind of how I structured my show and didn't want to just be another, Hey, what are you playing, Joe? Here's the news. What's your opinion on it? And you know, then that's it. I don't think that really works. I think it's I think it's also perfectly acceptable to to know that like okay I as a 25 year old white dude with not like you know I don't have a crazy tragic Batman backstory yeah. it's okay to let your guests uh you know be a, a major focal point and as long as you're doing the job of facilitating their interesting elements you know you're 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 doing great be the Mark Marin of of games media if you must or whatever your podcast is about uh i don't personally care to know that much about uh mark maron's backstory he you know was a a drunk tragic comedian for a long time and then he got better and he has his podcast that's all you really need to know but it's his guests and the way he is facilitating a amiable friendly conversation with them that you know makes him go from just interviewing other poor comedians to interviewing the president of america <laughs> uh and that's a that's a beautiful fascinating thing and it's it's not as difficult a trick as you might think yeah i i would like people to enjoy my interview style and maybe even me as a person or my opinions on things but i, I didn't get in this to be the star of it the star is whoever i bring on mm-hmm. like that's the goal it's yep. to highlight that person and i hopefully don't hopefully you don't leave and be like man i wish you would have asked that question or i can't believe you didn't say that my goal is to have you say like, oh, that's a good question. Also, if, if my guest ever says, oh, that's a good question, that's always like, yes. Uh, that's yes. always like a little goal in my head. It's like, I hope I Air can fist, get that. Yes. Yeah, someone tweeted me the other day who listens pretty consistently and was joking about like how he's like, yeah, I get excited every time I hear your guest say that. I'm like, me too. I'm so pumped <laughs> about that. So you hope that you walk away asking all of the questions that you wanted me to ask as well as a few that you didn't know you wanted me to ask and that you have a greater appreciation for that person afterward. I'm not really worried about me. And I think that's, it's one way of doing it. And I think you can get away with a non guest show that has an interesting concept, but a last quick tip about podcasting in general, like it takes time. It's, it's not going to, your third episode is not going to suddenly get all of these downloads unless you already have a name, unless you already have a Twitter following. It's, you know, it took me 60, 70, 80 episodes like of okay downloads. And then suddenly just like I've said on Twitter before, now it's like, each episode's getting 10 times the downloads it did like four months ago. So it, sometimes it just takes the right episode, the right guest, and it just kind of can take off from there. Um, this is, <laughs> this is a funny one. This is from at a just conspiracy on Twitter. I think this first one was a little bit of a joke. Uh, he, he asked, when are you doing a PAX panel or who do I have to email to get you to host a 1099 PAX panel? There's no way I would do a PAX panel. Yeah. Um, really? At this stage, not at this stage in the game. No. Um, again, this is, I would hope me being super, self-aware like that would be a very empty packs panel and i don't mean that as like self-deprecating or yeah shitting all over my own show like I, as i've said people listen to this podcast and people enjoy it and i'm super appreciative but it is mostly guest focused and i would have to have like this all-star lineup of guests and then people would realize that i totally need some sort of script in front of me to actually interview effectively and then the, the ruse is the ruse is gone <laughs> suddenly it's like oh he's a sham uh i think i would three babies in a trench coat it's exactly what i am uh and I, I the format could work you'd have to get the right people um if this podcast ever did get bigger um and you know downloads kept going up every single month like they have been and you know people really started liking the show and not just the guest which is starting to happen i would consider it but as of right now it's uh it's the same thing when people ask me if i'm gonna do a patreon like no way like it's 
it's just not it's not at that scale yet and i think i'm just super cognizant of i would have to wait for the exact right moment because as justin mcelroy told me on the show too we were talking about patreon where you can only really pull that lever once um and you want to be set up in the right way to do it you don't want to be the person who has a patreon gets like 17 dollars, and then it's like oh it's not gonna work and then five months later comes back with a new one and it's still not at the right spot so it's uh i'm happy where it's at um and i will just keep letting it grow and then if other stuff happens other stuff happens the uh i think one of the most important things for fans of the 1099 to do is just share episodes that you found something meaningful in uh, yeah. you know for example i I listened to uh, Game Informer had an interview with Chris Sabat, the the voice of Vegeta guy, uh, in Piccolo and a bunch of other DBZ stuff and anime, and uh, just kind of included a little comment in my tweet about like you know how cool it'd be to have a beer with this guy and like just talk about anything, everything. He's so cool, seems so awesome. And Chris Sabat actually replied and I think retweeted that tweet just to help promote that podcast, yeah. and that's just doing gangbusters for actual numbers and impressions of like, you know, Hey, this person, I, I, who I care about their opinion likes this thing. Maybe I'll like this thing too. And that creates a nice little spider web effect of showing not only is this worth listening to, it's worth engaging with. And that will lead to, you know, more meaningful uh, fans and coverage. And like, I, again, people have been nice enough to email me and, and DM me and say, like, how can I support the show? And again, that means the world. It's super, super nice. The best way to do it is like share episodes or Send even, food. <laughs> that'd be great. Send me those sandwiches in the mail. Like I did Jake, but like in sharing helps, but also like leave iTunes reviews. Like that sort of stuff for visibility sake is so massive. Um, or like put it on a Reddit thread if you like it or anything like that. That stuff is super duper helpful for me. I, I um, want to see. I want to see you set up a Patreon just so you can do lewd photos for like oh your God. diamond tier payments. That's probably in my future. Let's be honest. That's that's the next step of this show. Um, this was also a follow up from a just a just conspiracy on Twitter. Uh, he had asked a more serious question, and I like this one a lot. Is there a person or topic you wish you could have a do over on? Um, and I don't think I've like crashed and burned too badly on any interviews yet. Knock on wood. Uh, I really want to redo the Patrick Klepek one. I, I had a very strict like t- window of time where he only had 30 minutes. And I don't feel like, honestly, it usually takes like 15 to kind of get warmed up with someone mm-hmm. when you're first talking to them to get the, like, everything down and start moving get into the, the questions you want to get to. Get the basics and the weather out of the way. 100, 100%. And I uh, never really feel like I got it like going as much as I wanted to. And like listening back to it, the episode's fine, but it's just not... It, it wasn't what I wanted it to be. I don't regret it, but it's not fantastic. Uh, the J- Jason Schreier one, I didn't think I did amazingly on. That was also a kind of tight window one where as I was going through it, I'm like, ah, it's just not clicking. Mm-hmm. Like he's giving good answers and stuff like that, but I'm not able to like, you know, really some, sometimes you just turn a corner. Like I remember like in the Vinny one, suddenly like halfway through it, we just started really talking. I'm like, Oh, this is good. Like I'm getting exactly what I want. And like I'm thinking of follow up questions on the fly and it's working out. Um, Shay Serrano, who, geez, is now like a two times New York's time selling best author and has a show coming out and, you know, has this massive Twitter following and he's a, one of my favorite sports writers. Uh, that was also, he's a, he's a tough person to read, uh, over, I think that was just like on Skype. And like as I was going through it and like, oh, this isn't like, I'm not getting it the way I want to like get some of these answers out mm-hmm. and like not his fault. It was just, it takes a bit. So like that was another one that I wish I could have done better on. But other than that, like I feel like most of them have kind of gone 
well enough that I don't walk away being like, damn it, I want to redo. There's just a few where I wish I can get a little bit more out of, even if I don't think they were bad. I still think they're worth listening to if you like those people. I just didn't get, didn't have that moment, didn't have that like eureka moment where you're talking to someone, you're like, oh, they're going to like this because you know, people should know, like, I'm fans of all these people, too. Uh, it's maybe partially this podcast is selfish because I get to talk to, like, heroes of mine and people I've liked for a long time. So when they say that stuff and they, I get a really good answer, I'm excited because I've wanted to know that. I wanted to hear this part about them. So, yeah, every once in a while, it just doesn't totally work out. Yeah, I, uh, the only times I've ever felt, like, really despondent about interviews is some. sometimes it'll be for, like, uh, an actual story I'll do with uh, – multiple subjects uh and i'll interview the first one for like 30 45 minutes and it'll feel a little like ah, did i get the answers i wanted did i yep. did i actually get anything i could use and then the next two guys because i had that kind of stuttering period will be like amazing interviews so i'll talk to them for like an hour and a half it'll be great i'll have like too much to use to the point where i'm just like oh my god i can't pick which one is better but then i can't exactly go back and then ask that guy that first guy to come back and it's the same for, you know, a long form podcast like this, where it's like, I get this one shot. And if, if those first 15 minutes are just the worst, it might, it might turn around and, or it might spell doom. But, yeah. uh, sometimes you really do need that extra time to just warm up and realize, Hey, this dude's a normal person. This other guy is a normal person. We're not idols. We're not peons. We're just people. And this is fun. Yeah, it, it takes time. Like, and that's a lot of what we talked about earlier is just like getting on that same level, getting on the same level as someone and being able to talk to them like a human. And yeah, that's a lot of, yeah, any, any regrets with interviewing usually stem from just taking too long to get there, mm -hmm. taking too long to kind of get warmed up. Uh, this comes from at Raptor7 on Twitter. As a person I'd like to know, what's it like balancing work life as a journalist, developer, interviewer? Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> man, it's, I mean, <laughs> life's busy. Uh, it's, but it's not, I don't know, like, I, I'm not going to be someone who says, like, I'm working, like, 80 hours a week. I've lived that life when I was younger, and I really wanted to get in the business, but I also needed money because, you know, didn't really get any sort of you know, financial assistance. It was all like, well, here we go. This has to be me um, buying a car and, you know, college and phone and stuff like that. Uh, and that's when I was working 80 hours, and I think I put in a lot of the work earlier, thankfully, so that right now I'm comfortable in my full-time job, and this is the stuff I do because I love it. Um, the... The work with Tan Gentleman, of course, I, I get paid for it. That's an actual job, but I still love doing that. And then with the podcast, this is, this is fun for me. I record all the shows. I mean, the process of a podcast is usually like you spend, you know, 20 minutes thinking up questions or concepts and then you record for an hour, an hour and a half. And then I listen to the entire thing afterward to edit it and stuff like that. So it's, you know, it's two, three hours out of my week. It's not, it's not that bad. And then there's like some times where I'm reaching out to people, but, uh, it's a lot, but, there is that, you know, there's the cliche, you know, it's not really work if you love it, if it's your passion and partially true. It's still work. You're still doing a lot of you stuff even if you paid. love what you do. <laughs> don't, yeah, ever, don't ever, don't ever let anyone not pay you for a thing you love. 1000%. So yeah, like it's the balance. I still play a lot of Overwatch. Like I still take naps in my life. I still hang out with friends. Like I'm not, I'm fortunate to be in a situation now after putting a lot of work early that I'm not, you know, kind of just killing myself every week to do what i want to do but um i it's yeah you, you get used to I, it, it takes time. Uh, i remember i've probably have even said it on this show maybe some year back or whatever but uh i will never forget ben kuchera wrote a simple 
opinion piece, there was some discussion going on about like, you know, balance of, of a journal, a journalist and work life and all that. And he said, you know, Hey, maybe, maybe 15% of my life is video games. And he leads away from that by saying the rest of my life is informed and, and imbued with value by doing these things that are completely unrelated to video games, raising my kids, uh, playing, other kinds of activities, uh, reading, uh, having conversations with people, going to places and doing X thing. And when he comes back to video games, his ability to engage with them is made all the richer because he has a wide circle of values and, and meaning in his life that he can uh, translate into the way he engages with the game. And that's always been big encouragement to someone like me who's like i have a day job uh although it's still within kind of it it allows me to engage with pop media in a way that i find really uh valuable and i will i i i love the ability to just have some consistency as opposed to the wackadoodle life of freelance journalism because i i will hear those horror stories too of someone working a 60 or 80 hour work week and of course, they're still living penny to penny, and I don't begrudge anyone if that's what they want to do, if they really want to bust tail. But I'd rather get the big wins every once in a while than the moderate wins day in, day out. Totally. And you just like don't kill yourself over this kind of stuff. Like yeah. it's it, there's definitely times where when you're like young and hungry for it, you, you really might put in hours you maybe shouldn't to get the opportunities, and you overcommit on freelance stuff because. You don't want to say no to people, especially if editors are reaching out to you, but you got to balance that stuff. You got to, for me, like if I don't want to overwork myself and not be able to go to the gym and I know gym is work to a lot of people, but like that keeps me like mentally focused and and physically active. And I I need like on a weekend, I need to go out with friends, like usually at least once just to stay sane. Like you can spend an entire Saturday working, but make sure you go out or do something even if it's a chill night with a friend on a Friday or do something, play games on a Sunday, you need to kind of disconnect from all that for a bit. And if you don't, you will go crazy. I have, I, uh, you will hate I, yourself. <laughs> I have like lost some friends and probably ruined a relationship once just from like overworking and being too focused on a goal that, you know, it's, you're not in a rush. You, you work hard for it. You need to, but don't, yeah, don't obsess over it. Um, there's a long email that I, don't think we're going to get to today because it's like a massive, really great something from Vincent Ader, if I'm pronouncing that right. I'm sorry if I'm not. That I, I think if we if we do another one of these in the future, I'll totally get to. But my dog is like just like growling at me behind me being like, I got to go to the bathroom. I swear to God. So uh, let's close on this one if it's good with you. Um, it's, it's Sorry, it's a little 1099 focused. Uh, this is from Paul Sharp on Twitter. Uh, and Paul asks, what are your goals for the 1099? Where would you like the podcast to be in a few years? Oh, God, that sounds terrifying. I bet it would be great to get paid for your work. And uh, we talked about this a little bit, but I think this is a good one to kind of finish up with. It would be awesome to get paid for this. Uh, but as I mentioned earlier, like I, I'm doing, I'm happy to be doing well. I'm happy to have two paying jobs uh, that you know hopefully won't disappear in, <laughs> in the near future. Um, and I'm in a good spot. This is still a passion thing for me. And even if I got... 50 downloads every single week i'd probably still do it just because i get to talk to people who i really look up to and i've learned just so much about game development and how people look at game culture and 
how people handle YouTube economics and all this different stuff like that with people who I never thought I would talk to. Uh, and it's been crazy and awesome. And the fact that, you know, it's gone from like, it, it, there was a time early on where it's like, all right, cool, 100 downloads for this one. That's awesome. And then suddenly you're like, oh, wow, this one got a 1,000. That's incredible. Then looking at other ones, like, this one has 15,000. What's going on? Like, there's definitely, it's been cool to see that growth and if in the future this continues to get crazy and there's a, you know, a, a demand for a Patreon or something like that, or, you know, I start getting ads. I've gotten a couple of emails about ads that I haven't really bitten on yet because I want to make sure there's, you know, when you have a, a guest driven show, the, the download numbers can fluctuate and they're finally not fluctuating as much. It's finally just hitting a pretty steady point, which I mean, in a positive way. Uh, so the goal in the next few years would be to continue to get big guests, to continue to see consistent people coming back and to eventually get ads that make sense for me i'm not gonna do like stupid ads i don't believe in just for the sake of money like i would want to do it for something that hopefully the people listen to the show like you don't want to do um, underwear ads is that what you're uh, saying you know what i would totally do underwear ads if it was like me undies or something like that because yeah. i would so accept me undies um i don't think they're gonna reach out to me i don't have the download numbers for something like that but you know smaller stuff smaller companies that uh, hopefully people who listen to the show would appreciate uh that's the goal i think in the next few years if i can keep getting consistent download numbers and keep seeing that go up um and not just be like a big spike for a big guest and then you know no real downloads for you know just a conversation like this uh it that's the goal and then eventually get some sort of advertising but if i never make money out of it that's totally fine with me if i hit two episode 200 and i don't have you know done a single advertisement do not care not really worried about that um that's that's kind of the i don't really have a five-year plan i don't have a two-year plan i barely have a one-year plan uh but i don't plan on stop then i'm not gonna stop doing this anytime soon especially since like people who i really enjoy keep saying yes so i'm gonna keep doing it as long as they keep saying yes i'm gonna inscribe so, yeah. that on your gravestone three thousand episodes <laughs> and not a dime to show for it <laughs> yeah i've definitely spent more money than i've gained because you gotta you know pay the soundcloud and Oh, I, I need to eventually get a new mic. That's one of my goals. I need to get a new mic and a pop filter, but you know, mm. I'll get there. I don't make money on this. I've gotten <laughs> emails from people saying like, your peas are just popping, which I, that's going to drive them crazy. That I did it right there, but I'll get it. I promise I'm getting there. I'll, I'll eventually get to that spot. Um, so yeah, that was, that's going to be the first, first episode, I guess, of one of these. The first time we'll do one of these Q and A shows. If people like these, uh, I kind of like them as like Friday bonus shows every once in a while. It's little little therapy it. sessions for the mind. Yeah, I think you need them every once in a while. Uh, Joe, thanks for spending and a little bit over an hour on your Sunday to talk a whole bunch about games <laughs> I, and my. Podcast I look forward to being on the very final 1099 episode and be like, "So it's come to this." <laughs> yeah, that's gonna be the one. I don't know. That's you, you'll probably be the final guest. Let's be honest. That's that's the only way this can really work out. I'll just be me like and, uh, this, me and Baldino. <laughs> <laughs> just just talking insane shit not just like talking over you like we don't give a shit yeah at that point who cares i'm like i'm not even using like i'm actually using the old recording software i used to use that records the entire skype call so it just sounds like dog shit mm. like that's that's really what's going to happen um so yeah if uh if anyone listening does have more questions as you would guess i'm at josiah renauden on twitter and i don't mind giving out my email go for it if, if you want to send me longer questions for the future one it would be uh, josiahrenauden at gmail.com. I will eventually read and answer this long email from uh, Vincent Ader. It's just really long and something I want to kind of spend more time on. Uh, and Joe, are you at Joseph Noop or are you something yep. else? Are you at, at Noop Dog? At J-O-S-E-P-H-K-N-O-O-P. Noop Dog okay. is my PlayStation Network name. That's Thank what you. I was getting confused you should know that as well. Right now. I, really um, should. I, I knew that. I just I thought it was also your Twitter. 
<laughs> I wish. That'd be really great. So yeah, uh, if you want to follow Joe or ask him questions, then he can come back on and we can do this again. So yeah, this will be the second episode this week. Earlier this week was Lucy James. Hopefully everyone loved that one. I just finished ending that one. Um, next week is... This is probably going to change, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, we should have Andrew Reiner next week and then Jeff Backlar after that. So full schedule. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's going to be fun. Last request, too, if you can go to iTunes, leave a review on the show. I got a few really, really nice ones recently that super helps out. So thanks, everyone, for listening and for all of the great questions on Twitter and at my email. And hopefully tune back in for next week's episode of the 1099.